Hey moms! I'm April. And I'm Kat. Join us every other week as we analyze the trends and philosophies that have the greatest impact on the mother-baby diet across the pregnancy to motherhood spectrum. Sometimes we invite special guests who also question mainstream practices. And other times you'll get to listen to just the two of us, exchanging our uncensored opinions and anecdotes with a sprinkle of evidence, but only when necessary. Because let's be real, biological norms and mom's intuition do not need to be substantiated by mountains of scientific evidence. But because we can't help ourselves, we'll share it anyway. So, if you are skeptical of the medical industrial complex, find genuine fulfillment in motherhood, read package inserts, and align yourself with attachment parenting, you can consider yourself a fellow mom off the record. Hey listeners, as you know, we kicked off season two of Moms Off the Record, hosting none other than Fierce Lizzie, fellow radical mom and host of the Unapologetically Unmedicated podcast. You're going to love her podcast because Lizzie fits the Moms Off the Record bill as an empowered, critical thinking, and non-captured doula who advocates for informed physiologic birth despite the hospital setting. One of our favorite episodes is episode 89, Five Reasons to Avoid Pitocin. And in case you need a reminder, Pitocin is not your friend. Lizzie clearly and directly explains the top reasons to circumvent this drug altogether. Tune in to listen. Here we are. Welcome to our second episode of 2024, season two of Moms Off the Record. It's just us today. We have Kat and April. Hello, Kat. Hello, April. How are you? Good to see you. I'm Great doing. Great to see you. I'm doing. We're hanging in there. <laughs> We're hanging in there. We, for I think, I think, I don't know if I've shared this on our Instagram or not. I've been very quiet on our Instagram, but we're in the process of selling our home and buying a new home and moving to Virginia. And that's actually a great segue into this episode. But anyway, it's it's all positive stress, but there's a lot of moving parts when you're trying to relocate states. So, but we're doing that because we want to be close to family. My husband's family are all in the Richmond area, so we'll be relocating there. And we want to make sure that we have additional support and that we raise Eden connected and building relationships with her extended family. So we're going to make that a reality. How are you? Yes. Well, I'm good. And I'm just so excited for you guys because it seems like things are moving very quickly in the right direction with this process. And as we've talked about, you know, living in close proximity to family, especially family who's able and willing to help with kids is so underrated. You know, mm-hmm. and it's going yeah, to be great to have more support in general. We're just in that season of life. So I'm very happy for you guys. Yeah. Thank you. You know, but um, so today's okay. topic. Yeah. Today's topic <laughs> is all about pregnancy spacing. And yes. we had pulled our audience what la- late last year. And yeah. this was a topic a lot of us were interested in talking about. I think this is one of, another one of those motherhood topics that people have, you know, white knuckles on their their belief systems and why or why not it's good or bad to have babies close together or far apart. And so we want to talk through some of the science behind that, the physiology behind multiple babies, and then we'll also share our personal take and anecdotes on on why or why not. 
because you're a sibling, I'm a sibling, and yeah, so we'll get into that. So let's kick it off with this. Back in mid-November, we polled our Instagram followers, and the question was, what do you think is the perfect age gap between kids? And here's the options. One year, which is, I mean, that's like nothing, (laughs) two years, three years, and four plus years. So April, before I reveal the results of the poll, (laughs) guess which was the most popular vote. Okay, I'll guess, and then I'll tell you my vote, and then you get, and then you tell me your vote. Okay, so I think the most popular option would be two years. You're correct. But my personal option is four plus years. Now, what's yours? All right, so I... And maybe I'm biased because obviously I'm looking at the results, but I would have guessed, had I not known, I would have also guessed two years simply because... I trust you. Thank you. Honor system. That is just like what we see in here, right? Is like that two-year age gap. So I definitely figured it would be the most popular and it was. Now, I do think that the perfect, if you had to choose a perfect, now we all can admit perfection does not exist, but That's right. as, as close to ideal as possible for me I think it's three to three and a half years. Now, I want to give the caveat that we all know that things happen, right? And life Mm -hmm. circumstances change. So that's right. I do think that mothers are so strong and resilient and that if things are not going to your timeline, like meaning if you have a baby either before your whatever your made up timeline is or after (laughs) the timeline, I do think you're just, obviously you're going to buckle down and you're just going to figure it out and make it work. But like if I could wave a magic wand, yeah, I do think three years is nice. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we know that, gosh, I think at the three-year age mark on average, right, you're moving, babies are moving a little bit farther away from always needing to be glued to mom and a little bit away from toddlerhood and a little bit more into independence and being a little kid, maybe they're going to be a little bit more inclined to give you something that you need for the newborn, right? And help out more. Mm -hmm. They can comprehend things more. Maybe they can play with a smaller group of friends while you are breastfeeding a newborn on demand. It could just be a little bit easier to juggle. Obviously, we know people who have two under two who make it work. And I mean, that's a lot in my opinion. And I know for you too, from our conversations, um, I know that they can make (laughs) it work. But what I hear from people, and I'm making generalizations, is that two under two is very hard in the early years, right? Because you're dealing with two very needy and demanding. Mm. And I just mean that objectively, not like it's a bad thing. Needy and demanding. needy. Biologically Uh needy, right? Which they should be needy, right? They are. Babies simultaneously, but then they're like, oh, but they're close in age. So, you know, they'll do the same activities. They'll be best of friends, which we know isn't necessarily always the case. Okay, so I'll tell you the results. So in terms of what people thought was the perfect age gap between children, 2% voted one year. I mean, if you think about it, (laughs) you would have had to I want to know that one woman who was like, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like... Uh, maybe I was like, maybe they didn't quite understand or that. Or maybe it was an accidental. Like, right. <laughs> I was I like, I don't y- know that there's a lot of people who would willingly enter that kind of chaos. That's crazy. But that is that why is. to be one year apart. So you're getting pregnant a few months postpartum, less than six months. months postpartum, three months. Yeah, that's ah, no, th- no that's thank you wild. for me. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll skip that. Yeah. 
Two years, 58%. uh, 31% voted for a three-year gap. So that was right after two. And then only 8% voted for four plus years. I was like, I knew it wouldn't be that popular. Yes. Now, speaking of the four plus year age gap, I am of that club. So I'm the oldest sibling. Then my brother is five years younger than me, and that was by design. So my mom was mm-hmm. very blessed. She didn't have any troubles getting pregnant. It wasn't like, oh, she waited for years. So very fortunate and blessed. It was actually by design. It was I, I was born in 1990, and it still was very popular to intentionally try to have that two- or three-year age gap at that time. My mom was definitely the black sheep of her friend group for not doing that. She said that she loves the big gap because, well, one, I guess I was one of those very like needy, high intensity children. And I had a lot of activities. You don't say, right? (laughs) I was like the boss. I was like bossy. Uh And I had all these activities going on. And so my mom also, for context, she had me at 25, right? So it's not like she started having kids in her mid-30s and was like, oh, no, biological time clock. So it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to, if you are in that position, to be like, you know what? Let's just take our time. We don't have to try to juggle two kids under two. We can just ease our way into this. So she said it was great because when I'm in kindergarten or first grade, she's able to be at home, focus on breastfeeding on demand. She doesn't have to divide her attention between two children. I was like mommy junior, as she says, and I was eager and happy to help out. I knew exactly what was happening. Like, oh, I'm getting a little brother. This is so exciting. I was like practicing babysitting. So yeah, I was like mom junior, extremely different dynamics. So as a result of that, I'll tell you the pros and the cons from my lived experience. Pros. We literally never had any sibling rivalry. I don't even understand what that is firsthand. Never. Because I was, I actually begged my parents for a sibling when I was like three and a half to four. And I was like, all my friends have siblings. I'm all alone. I have no one to play with at home. Yeah. And I was like, when, when and how can I get one? I was basically begging them for a year. They're like, I guess it was cool, right? That they were waiting for me to take the lead on that. And when I requested, they made it happen. I was at the age when I could ask for that so be I was so eager for a little sibling that I could like play with one day that I was never jealous I wasn't mad at him I really felt like a like a big sister mentor a little mom to him so I have no idea what sibling rivalry or jealousy is like right because that was a that's a five-year gap we're talking about so now the con is it was such a different dynamic. Like I felt like a big cousin or an aunt to him almost, even though we're so close and I was so protective of my little brother that it never truly felt like, oh, we're best friends, you know? Mm-hmm. I was going through life, different stages. Also, he's a different sex than you. Yes. So like, yeah. So it was more like okay. I'm his protector and like watching over him mm. and very like, you know, teaching him things in a way, but we're not like hanging out together. We're not going to have similar social circles, completely different dynamics, just on completely different timelines. No, no, never. So, you know, we didn't have that kind of intimacy as siblings. So those are the pros and cons, but the pros for a mom, especially if you want a mother physiologically, you don't have to worry as you're like breastfeeding a newborn that you're going to have to like bounce the toddler on on the other side of your lap at the same time. You know what I mean? You you really get that one-on-one time with a big age gap. That's right. And I think that's exactly why if we were to ever have a second child, it would be a larger gap 
because of that, because I think Eden's personality is one in which she will be like you, bossy, yep. know it. I want she to my teach twin. them things. Yeah, like she she has that personality, and she's a very demanding child. Mm-hmm. Granted, she's a toddler, so like naturally, but I just can tell that's going to follow her for a long time. <laughs> and so I don't want her to experience that jealousy or – I don't want to feel like I have to sacrifice time with her to meet the needs of this baby, which I would do if I were in this position, but I don't want to put myself in that position. So we want to wait if we, if we do, we're not even sold on the idea of having more than one, but I have a different experience with than you. Yes. My siblings. So my oldest brother is four years older than me, 18 months older than my older sister, each of us are 18 months apart. Meaning your mom got pregnant at nine months postpartum with each of you. That's right. Exactly. Wow. And then my fourth, the, my third sibling, the fourth child, is nine years between me and her. Fully so related? the baby. Or half? A uh, half. A okay. half, yeah. But our relationship is such that we don't have that distinction. But yes, yes she has this, a different father. And I was the baby forever, and I love that. <laughs> yes, but the princess. Because, because we were so close in age, there was a ton of sibling rivalry, and there was mm. a ton of jealousy, and I felt like I was kind of the neglected one, mm. despite how like needy I was. And, you know, there's a whole host of factors, which we'll talk about, that that are at play. So we can't blame the gap but is it a contributing factor what you say it's it's a contributing factor I would definitely say that now I will say pros of being so close in age were that we were like the three musketeers in that we all went to the same school at the same time for a long time so when I was in kindergarten and my brother was in the fifth grade, if I got picked on at school, I'd be like, oh, my big brother's going to get you. And Wait, you were in kindergarten? True. He was in fifth grade, but you guys are just a couple it's years apart. Years, my no? brother. And then my old Oh, my gosh. Right, sister, right, right. Who the middle child, she, she's two years. Well, 18 No, years. you're right. Um, but also things to consider, like, for example, when my sister, my, my, for example, had a birthday party and she got got a new bicycle I also got a new bicycle Mm. on her birthday because my parents wouldn't dare give her something without so it was one of those things like all for one one for all was the philosophy in our home so that also related to being in trouble so Mm. if one of us got in trouble we all got the spanking because we should have ratted each other out like in communist countries (laughs) it was very much like the collective mentality because we were so close now you talk about with your younger brother that that instinct to parent or aunt or to teach that was very much the case with my younger sister again a lot of Mm. factors going into play but like she was my baby so Mm -hmm. I fed her I changed her diapers you know, it's I so put cute. her in the crib and let her cry it out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I totally regret that. But that's what my mom told me to do. <laughs> We're just listening um, to our moms. We do not want to get a spanking. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's lived experience. 
Yes. So we're, we should also make the, the disclaimer that we're not going to sit here and tell you what the correct, there is no such thing as the correct spacing. Yeah, but what it's we so subjective. Talk about, yeah, because there's so many different circumstances that would warrant, and we can get into that. But I want us to inform our listeners about the science behind some of the claims Yes, ideal spacing, quote, ideal spacing, because there is a lot of things that we need to consider, especially with mom, like being pregnant, we know is it takes a ton out of us. Right. And there is this depletion that happens in pregnancy and after. And in order to fully replenish, some statistics show that it takes up to three years to fully replenish after giving birth. And so what we don't want to do is conceive a baby until we are replenished. Or if we do, we just need to know that there are some risks associated, right? Absolutely. And so a couple things on that note is some of the three-letter organizations, which sometimes we agree with what they say and other times we have a bone to pick, but there's these you know, broad strokes generalizations made from many of them, which is, you know, based on some research and science that you should wait ideally like three to five years between pregnancies. And I can definitely see a lot of benefit in this. But I will say, I'm just trying to be as objective as possible here right now and play devil's advocate. I know of some women who can have back-to-back-to-back pregnancies, and I'm not like recommending this by any means, but... And they have healthy, like, unmedicated births. I see it sometimes in, like, the home birth, homestead, homeschool, like, crunchy mom community. You see these women have, you know, they're not using any birth control, not even natural family planning. And they are having babies every two years. And their babies seem healthy. They seem healthy. So this is what I think about the three- to five-year recommendation personally. Okay, give it to me. I think that, like, with some of the recommendations given generally to like the whole world that it's very conservative and it's assuming that if a mom or is living the standard American lifestyle or diet or in a third world country where she probably may not be prioritizing replenishing nutrient stores in postpartum and there's all sorts of toxins that she's exposed to and she's not detoxifying right, then yeah, I think out of an abundance of caution, the assumption is the longer you wait, the better for you and baby. But if you are one of these like home birth, homestead, homeschool, like I grow my own food and I'm taking beef liver straight up, moms, you might be able to get away with these back-to-back pregnancies like every 12 months. But there, it's not just the physical component, like physical health that you need to consider for your own body as the mom That's and right. your baby. There's also the societal and cultural, like what kind of support system do you have? Because for example, you might hypothetically, like look at Candace Owens, for example. She has three babies under three. She just gave birth to a third. She's about our age or like a year older, so approaching mid-30s. She's had all babies vaginally, from what I understand. She seems very healthy. Her babies seem like they're in great health. So obviously this is anecdotal. I'm not her doctor. I don't, I don't have to say that. But so I, I, this is what I think. If She also has, you know, nannies, housekeepers, all these things. If you are going at this alone or like you mostly feel like you're a solo mom during the day, 
and you don't have a lot of help or like a good safety net, maybe finances are a strain, yes, you can do it and you will do it. You'll make it happen. But if you have like two under two or three under three, it's just be prepared. That could be a lot of work. And also think about how that could impact the mother-baby dyad when it's divided into mm-hmm. two or three babies. Mm-hmm. And if you are really into phys- physiologic mothering, you st- you can tandem nurse, for example. There's You can still bed share. However, we know it's not safe to bed share with a newborn and a toddler in the same bed because you don't want the toddler like jumping on the newborn, for example. So you need to, as you're making these decisions with your spouse or partner, think about like, How long, realistically, can I physiologically mother each of my children if I have many little ones at the same time? What would you add to that? Yeah, we often talk about the silent load of motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so I also, in addition to those physiologic things, I really would like to illuminate the psychological things in isolation. Because you and I, in the first year talked countless times about how overwhelmed and how stressed we were because there there's so much that you don't anticipate as a new mom affecting you and all of the things you have to carry while nurturing and sustaining your child mm-hmm. and I think of how some of those days we felt so frazzled and so fragile Mm-hmm. That to add another needy child to that equation probably would have broke us at that stage. I think so. Um, Especially like certain, like at the nine-month mark or 12-month mark, I can recall vividly there's certain stages where like we're celebrating so much, there's so much to be excited about. But in very specific pinpointed moments of the day, it would be just like all hell would break loose, it would feel like. And it would be fleeting, but mm-hmm. almost like a contraction. It would be really intense for a short duration. And then, of course, we'd like get through the wave. Yeah. And that's the, that's the you know, that's the thesis of this whole episode is mothers adapt. Yes. And you will, you will overcome it all. But are you doing yourself or your child a disservice by putting yourself in that state repeatedly intentionally correct because the stress of being resilient and making it through there's not a lot of recovery time when you're adding another child into that equation especially with the values that we hold of nursing on demand and and connection and attachment style parenting and bed sharing and all that stuff. And like, you know, baby led weaning. Like we don't just give our oh, yeah. babies the pouches or whatever. No. So we're preparing meals. And so just to add another need, I don't, I would hate the idea of sacrificing in any of those areas just to right. make it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think this is reminding me too, you have to, only you as the mom will know your personality type and like your threshold, your energy level threshold. I know women, like we we know someone who's awesome, who's like a little bit younger than we are and she's mm-hmm. almost going to have her sixth child and they're each yeah. about two to three years apart. And this is someone who really has her stuff together. She's very organized and she's able to, I think, very easily and gracefully wear many hats. Personally, I can speak on behalf of both of us, that would not be for us, you know, just because... 
we have to think about energy levels, priorities. I I do wish I could do that. I mean, I would love I would love four or five kids, honestly, but I also think I would need to outsource a lot of help. So <laughs> no, like a lot of help, right? And I think you just need to understand if you if you are planning on adding more kids to the mix and in very with very short pregnancy intervals. You also need to consider things like what kind of shortcuts are you going to be willing to make or sacrifices will right. you make? For, what are your boundaries? For example, I am really big on no screens and then I often hear that moms are like, yeah, I was too, but like it's a survival mechanism when you have like all, you know, multiple kids. And, you know, when we're talking about physiologic mothering, which is a big theme of what we believe in, one of our core values, you also have to ask yourself like, does it mean that you're going to be weaning earlier than you'd like? Are you going to be offering pacifiers? Like how are you going to get through long drives or flights when you have three little ones who are tugging at you, right? Mm -hmm. So do you start to, I guess it's more of like a philosophical, hypothetical question only you can answer. Do you start to sacrifice some of your own physiologic mothering values in order to just kind of survive instead of thrive? I don't know. Yeah. And another thing, you know, when we did our look back, things that we wish we would have done different or things we should have considered, finances was a big topic for us of, you know, had we known what we know and about daycare or about nanny or about maternity leave and all of that, had we known what we know now, what would we have entered motherhood differently? And so now let's say, you know, For example, I don't want to do a daycare situation, but now that I have two kids, can I afford not to or three kids or whatever the case may be? Those are things that I I just implore mothers to consider before they just have multiple babies because society shows us that's normal or because we have these dreams of having big families. That's okay. Of course, you can have the size of family that you want. But make sure that you're doing it in a way that aligns to your values and aligns to your lifestyle, right? We did that big discussion on Instagram about daycare. And, for example, a lot of the women in the comments were saying, you know, I don't have a support system here. I Mm -hmm. don't have extended family here. So that's not an option for us. To which we say, okay, is that a sacrifice we should make? Should we downsize our home and relocate? That's what we're doing, right? To to make it more feasible to have true support. So yes, those are just things that we want to consider before, you know, making decisions on family size. But then I look at, and tell me your thoughts, like I look at Ballerina Farm, right? And she, I think she just had her eighth baby. And then also Yolanda Clark Norris, who I have so much respect for and I just bought her book Mm -hmm. Portal and she just had her 10th baby and she's like almost 43 she looks phenomenal her family is thriving again one of those moms who can just have a ton of kids naturally in short spacing increments and it looks like they're thriving so to play devil's advocate with myself and my own belief system I have to ask myself like is it a personality thing? Like, can they just manage with more children? And like some women will just always be thriving and healthy and they just figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. But to play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, first of all, we don't know. And not to knock her, by the way. Right. Totally, totally not my aim here. But do we know the lived experience of each of those children? We don't. Do, do Do they love being 
a, a large family and having multiple siblings mm. to share their parents, you know, I know that for me, I never, and I was just one of four and one of three for a long time, really. I never felt like I had enough time with my parents. Mm. It was And see, I never stretched. felt that. Wow. And here's the deal. I, we were all like those overachieving kids that were in karate and school plays and band and all that. And I competed in gymnastics growing up. And I remember that my mom never came to a single gymnastics meet because there was somewhere else. Mm. My mother, for example, we were out living with my dad. My parents divorced when I was one. And we were out living in California with my dad when my brother graduated high school and I graduated middle school. And my mom flew out, went to his graduation, but didn't come to mine. Oh, man. So there are these th- – and those things, like, you you know, it's like eighth grade graduation, who gives a hell? But also, like, that's that a big deal. graduation. That's and a big deal. And those are things that you carry in your, your imprint for a long time, whether or not you want to acknowledge it. And so I think that's why I am so – inquisitive about these family dynamics especially with larger families Mm. because do we really know we don't and that's that's valid and I appreciate you sharing your lived experience because these are the things as someone who comes from what I consider to be a small family and it's like all my cousins you know are from small families my parents like max of my like be just beyond my nuclear family, max, there's like three kids. I don't even have mm-hmm. a family member I know of who has more than three kids wow. on, I, on either side. Mm-hmm. So th- your perspective is so important for me to hear as you know we think about what to do in the future too with our family because my experience was always one of like, I never could appreciate that sense of, oh, my parents weren't there for me. They were always there for me. But I was always like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, it I love the thought of like, oh, on holidays, you know, there's all these siblings. But I think to your point, you never really know what's going on behind closed doors. Like, mm-hmm. wow, that can look good in a photograph or like that mm-hmm. sounds good in a soundbite. But are those kids really getting necessary, um, fair, undivided attention that they need from That's their parents? Right. right? You're not going to remember what your parents did or said. You're going to remember how they made you feel. How they made you feel. Yeah. And like there's always going to be a hierarchy mm-hmm. like it, bedtime routine right now it's just mm. you and your son and you guys have a rhythm now imagine spreading that and imagine the thoughts he's having it's like oh mom is over with so-and-so mm. and I wish I had five more minutes or why is so-and-so going first or last or whatever the thing is like yeah. I don't know I'm just really concerned about that Another thing I think we should address is because a value of ours is how important language is. Yes. And a lot of the times when you hear about families who decide to have multiples, especially closer together, they say things like, well, you just want to get it over with. Right. Yes. You and I talked about this. I understand the sentiment. Like you, you want to get through the hard stuff early. But can we please rewrite that please because it sounds harsh yeah like if it's not like it's child, unimportant or undesired 
if you're the child hearing this, you know, tw- two decades later, your mom has a soundbite saying like, oh, I just really wanted to get it over with. Like, that doesn't really sound like the kind of energy you want to enter the world in, you know? Absolutely. So I, I just want to, I want us to think about how we can rephrase that. I get the sentiment. Like I said, we want to get through the hard stuff and we don't, we just want to bulldoze our way through that. But that language, it kind of, it kind of gives me the ick. You know what it reminds me of thinking about an analogy here? It's like nobody gets into motherhood or parenting because they have this yearning desire to change a newborn's diaper 20 times a day. That's not why you do it, right? So when I hear like, oh, I just like want to get all the kids out of the way and get it over with, to me it's like, you know, they're just focusing on like the nitty gritty day to day and Of course, nobody wants to clean up messes and do those things. But I'm talking, we're talking bigger picture here. Like you got to go back to your why. So imagine if you are a surgeon or a lawyer and that's your passion. You don't go into law or you don't go into becoming a surgeon because you like to do dictations and admin work and like Mm -hmm. secretarial work. You do it for the bigger why and helping Mm -hmm. others, right? So you want to become a mom. um, Well, I mean, hopefully because you want to have this this little being that you can bond with and like inspire mm-hmm. and be a, have an impact on their lives and because it's just without even going into details just an innate biological desire that we mm-hmm. we want to have families right um it's kind of hardwired in us so to me it's like i never grew up with that language of hearing a mom say like oh i just wanted to get it over with what if we reframe the conversation where like instead of i want to get it over with I love I love this space so much. I want to live it again and again. Live through it again and again. And is that what you would really say if you were to reframe it? Is it still true? <laughs> so well, here's here's the truth. Here's the truth. It it's like to me it's like you, you could, the glass is either half full or half empty. Both are true. It just it's about your mindset and how you're going to look at it. So I could yeah. either be like oh man, I'm going to have a kid in five years from now and oh, it's going to suck when you know they're up every two hours and I'm changing 30 diapers a day. Or I could say like, wasn't it so amazing like just being able to baby wear this individual for so long? And yes, there's going to be hard times, but I mean, every stage is going to have hard times, even the teenage years when they're wiping yeah, their own right. butts, right? But Yeah, it's like the simple reframe of I get to Instead yes. of I have to, right? Yes. It's like, oh, I get to nurse my daughter every two hours while she's <laughs> eating <laughs> at 15 months instead of I have to nurse her through this pain. Or like we talk about sleep regression, but we like right. to reframe that as mental progressions, like the milestone yes. progressions. Like they're going through a lot, which is why they their sleep is interrupting their new neural maps and all the crazy cool stuff that's happening. So yes. Reframes are super important. And that's definitely one that I want us to consider is we're not just getting through it. It's like right. super transactional at that point, which I don't love. Yeah. To me, I'd ra- personally, I'm more drawn to spacing things out just enough. So I don't know, like taking breaks in between. It's it's hard yeah. for me to imagine wanting to whip out another baby, especially like less than a year postpartum. I think it's nice too if, you know, 
you can like reconnect mm-hmm. with your husband a little bit first and like, oh, now your baby's at the age where you can leave your baby with, let's say, a grandparent or a friend for a few hours so you and your husband can have a date night. So that's nice yeah. to do for a few months before you start planning another one so quickly, at least for me. Just a, li- a little bit of recovery. A lot of recovery is important. Your relationship recovery, your physical recovery, especially mm-hmm. if you're having a vaginal birth, like that took time. Yeah. You know, but also like C-section wounds. either way. I mean, that scar especially tissue needs C-section, to heal. I yes. would say especially, but like even if it's just a vaginal birth, well, I shouldn't say just, even if it's a vaginal birth, like that wound takes time to heal. Oh, yeah. Um, and we know from Anissa Woodall and her mm-hmm. program how important that replenishment is. And just because you can get pregnant doesn't mean you should or that your body is right. optimized to have a healthy and sustaining pregnancy, right? So we don't, just because we get pregnant three months after we just had a baby, maybe because we're not fully replenished, we're going to have a more complicated pregnancy or more complicated delivery. And so those are things that we really want to think all mm-hmm. the way through. Not think critically. The birth, the pregnancy and the birth, but also like, what's my child going to think about when when she's three and my other child is four? Like, I just want us to have that full, you know, full thought of, yeah. because I think we tend to romanticize things and yes. we forget. And it's a, yes. it's, a, it's a mechanism, a motherhood mechanism that we forget birth pretty quickly or we forget, you know, mm-hmm. the stress of newborn, like fourth trimester. Like that's a self-preservation mechanism. And the baby like, fever kicks in. Yeah, rank, let's, rank. Think, let's, let's think that through, you know what I mean? Yes, I agree. So speaking of which, that's actually a great segue into let's talk about some of the risks that can happen if you do decide or not decide if it just happens spontaneously to conceive a baby within 12 months of giving birth to your previous baby. Um, okay. This, this is just taken from Mayo Clinic Of course, we don't agree with everything they say. You're welcome to take this with a grain of salt. But I will tell you firsthand, I do know of mothers out there who have conceived babies even closer to that 12-month mark after giving birth, let's say 11 months, right? So nothing crazy like a month later. And I do know that they either had big pregnancy complications or let's say the pregnancy did go smoothly, Maybe something's wrong with the baby. Maybe something's discovered later on. Autism is very popular. So the risks Mm. of conceiving your baby too soon after birth, right, within 12 months are the following. Premature birth, the placenta partially or completely peeling away from the inner wall of the uterus, right, placental Mm -hmm. abruption. I actually know someone where that happened who conceived a baby 10 months after. Yep, me too. Wow. Yeah. And this placental abruption happened at like 24 weeks, I think. So low birth weight, congenital disorders, schizophrenia, and maternal anemia. Also, it says... Schizophrenia? Yes. For the baby or the mother? You know, it actually doesn't specify. That's a great question. Woof. That's not what I would have thought through, but like... I know. So we got to do some deeper digging into that one. Yeah, (laughs) food for thought. I mean, that's pretty serious. It's not like depression. That's pretty hard to treat. So in addition, 
it says recent research suggests that closely spaced pregnancies might be associated with an increased risk of autism in second born children. I've also witnessed this a few times. The risk is highest for pregnancies spaced less than 12 months apart. But it doesn't go into all the other risks and complications. Like think about it this way. If you are breastfeeding, right? that is taking away essential vitamins, minerals, and nutrients from your body. You're feeding your baby. And then especially if you're not focusing on really replenishing on a daily basis those nutrient stores and you walk into a subsequent pregnancy, think about the folate and choline and the B vitamins that you're probably deficient in and what that will do, that Mm. epigenetic impact that will have on your baby. Right. That's so maybe huge. maybe you won't have the placental abruption. Maybe you won't have an autistic baby, but you do need to think like, is this baby getting the healthiest start to life? So look, we know things happen. If you do want find out that you're pregnant within 12 months of conception, if personally, I would just be focusing on really eating nutrient dense foods, Nutrition. definitely supplementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. And I think that's why the the folks that we tend to trust like Lily Nichols mm-hmm. or Anissa Woodall, these folks who say, you know, three to five years, when we talk about replenishment, that's what we're talking about. Because at that point, you're weaned, if not weaning, and so your your baby's no longer, or your toddler's no longer just sucking you dry, mm-hmm. and then you can, you can give that to your, you know, baby in utero. These are these are the things that we really want to consider from a physiologic perspective because nutrition is definitely not talked about enough in pregnancy, especially when you're breastfeeding your first baby. Oh, yeah. Now, I will say, just to clarify, that Lily Nichols, it's interesting, in her book, Real Food for Pregnancy, on page 252 in the Pregnancy Spacing chapter, she actually has a whole section dedicated to this. She talks yeah, about how at a 18 months. Yes, at a bare minimum. Now, Anissa and others, I think on a more conservative side, will recommend the three to five years. So what that means is that inter pregnancy interval, we're meaning now it, it is often misinterpreted, but we're meaning from the time one baby is born until the next time you conceive. Okay, not from the time a baby's born until the birth of the next baby, but the conception of the next baby, right? Because that's when all the changes can affect. Yes. So I want to read some of the excerpts from the pregnancy spacing chapter in Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols. So talking about the timing and why. Okay, so we will also just put this in the show notes in case you want to read the whole chapter. But check out this. I'm just going to skip ahead here. No one knows for sure, but in a review of 58 studies on this topic, short pregnancy intervals, researchers found evidence that factors such as maternal nutritional depletion, especially folate, cervical insufficiency, incomplete healing of the uterine scar from previous cesarean delivery, transmission of infections, short duration of lactation related to breastfeeding slash pregnancy overlap, and abnormal healing of endometrial blood vessels may play a role. It may play a role in things like intrauterine growth restriction, preterm birth, or having a child with neural tube defects, developmental Mm -hmm. delays, cerebral palsy, or autism. So just going into a little bit more depth than what Mm -hmm. we discussed before. So the thing is, none of these things are a guarantee, right? You might get lucky, but you don't want to chance it, I think. And when we think about breastfeeding, because that's something we're super passionate about. 
your milk changes Mm -hmm. when you're further in your pregnancy and your colostrum kicks in. Mm -hmm. So you have to consider that too. What's my goal for breastfeeding my first child? And Mm -hmm. if you have, like for me, I want to get to at least two years. I would love to get to the two-year mark. Same. So that means that I need to get through at least 27 months, Mm -hmm. give or take, to wait to get pregnant because I know the colostrum changes in that third trimester of pregnancy. Generally. Yes. Now let's so. say I was a mom, because I'm with you. I want to do that too. But let's just say, because we know life happens. Let's say you get pregnant earlier than you anticipated. I know of moms who then would offer their toddlers raw cow's milk, which is probably going to be the next best thing if your milk dries up. You can, of course, still breastfeed during pregnancy. And yes, your milk composition will change. But if you do want a little boost for your child, you can do raw, you know, from a local farm or your natural food store, raw cow's milk. Yeah. Or goat's milk. Goat's milk is most similar to. Yes. So yeah, you can can supplement, but we, the whole point of this is like breastfeeding it is your value. Yes. If, if, if you're trying to plan your ideal spacing, don't yes. forget that your breast milk composition changes. That's the point. Oh, I yes. To make. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And then now, also mm-hmm. one that we, we talk about and kind of joke about, which is we're still bed sharing. I don't know that I've put a time frame on when I want to stop bed sharing. I haven't. I just kind of am. A, I'm waiting for this day where Eden's like, get me out of this bed. <laughs> Maybe that'll <laughs> never happen. <laughs> but I'm trying to imagine, especially right now. Oh, my God, cat. This child, and we call it her gymnastics. She'll uh-huh. latch and then just down dog and <laughs> put her feet like into my chest. And That's I'm so funny. That's my son like, too. Rolling over and like, like, re- like stomping her butt on so my belly, fu- <laughs> and then like kicking the, your face. Yeah, kicking as a joke, flailing right. Like, so all of that. Now imagine that you're dog tired yep. in your first trimester especially and you yeah. just want some sleep but you're, <laughs> you're not going to get it. Your baby is teething and they just need that every hour, two hour thing or whatever the case is. Maybe you have a uh, low sleep needs child, whatever your case is. Imagine bed sharing, mm-hmm. being pregnant, getting no. kicked in the stomach, getting kicked in the face, getting kicked into your tender boobs. Like these are the things I want women to think through as they're trying to plan their spacing. Think through all of these things, right? Now that you've been through the rigor once yeah. at least, take those into consideration. So definitely some changes will have to be made, right? And maybe those changes will come easily for your family. They they might not. I'll tell you what we just started doing a couple of days ago, just in preparation for whatever the future may store. Mm-hmm. We set up, so I know you guys already did this, but we set up the nesting toddler bed, not the crib. So we, we have the yep. bed now. Mm-hmm. In our new house, which we just moved into a couple of weeks ago, and we're still unboxing, but my husband just set up the bed And it's literally like half a foot next to our bed in the same room. So for the first stretch of the sleep last night, he slept for, it's usually never longer than four hours. So my son slept for four hours in his bed. 
no pillow, just some stuffed animals. He had like one blanket draped over him. Mm-hmm. And then when he woke up, I tried to nurse him back to sleep in his bed. So I was in leaning over bed. him. Uh-huh. Or like I can't get it has a 60 pound weight limit. So like my I was kneeling oh, girl, over. Get in that. I was I get in that all the time. Really? The I nested? Lay, I I Why do they say 60 her. pounds? They'd have they to. lie. They lie. They have to. They don't want you in there. You're not supposed to be in there. But like, that's why you they can, do it. Because I do, and I'm much bigger than you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, April's five eleven. I'm five one. So, all right. If you're doing it, I'm doing it. So, yeah. but here's what happened. I leaned over him, and then he he fell asleep. Right. But then, literally, like twenty minutes later. He's already up again. It's like he knew I was out of that bed. But my goal was, oh, I'll still nurse him to sleep, but he'll just be in his bed. We'll be like literally right here. No. He, It'll he knows take what he time. wants. Transition It'll take takes time. time. You know that. Mm-hmm. No, I know. So so we ended up bringing him back in the bed. But I wanted to share something else from the Lily Nichols excerpt, oh, right? Mm-hmm. This has to do with her take on the actual spacing numbers. So check this out. The latest research supports pregnancy spacing of at least 18 months, meaning waiting until your infant is 18 months old to conceive your next child. Keep right. in mind, these are bare minimums, right? Not so every, for, the, yeah. for the math, it's 18 plus 10 because we're pregnant 10 months, not just nine. Right. So 28 months. That's that's the space. That's, that's the, the spacing space between, between your kids. the two babies. So yes. two plus, two and a quarter Correct. Two and years. a quarter years Difference. is how far apart your babies will be, but you can start conceiving, according to this research, 18 months postpartum. Yes. Correct. Yes. So she does say, which I appreciate, she's like, not everyone wants to wait that long to get pregnant, especially older mothers, right? Imagine if you see yourself with two kids and you had your first at 40 years old. You don't really, maybe you don't get the luxury of waiting, you know, four or five years. I get it. So if 18 months is out of the question for you for any reason, researchers note that even waiting as little as 12 months, which honestly sounds still so quick for us, but if you wait as little as 12 months postpartum to get pregnant again, it is still associated with fewer adverse outcomes, especially lower chances of developmental delays and autism in the child. Now, there's another analysis she cited that found that waiting 15 months to conceive was associated with the lowest rates of fetal loss. This is important Mm. to consider if you have a history of miscarriage. So Mm. just to sum it up conservatively, if you can, try to wait at least 18 months, right? The longer, the better. Worst case, if it's at least 12 months, you should be in the clear. We know surprises can happen fewer than 12 months out. If that is you, again, we can't emphasize enough the importance of nutritional repletion Mm -hmm. that's right and just having the expectation that if you get pregnant if you so choose to have a shorter window there are increased risk to your pregnancy sustaining that pregnancy but also the baby Correct. And remember going back to what we said too about like, do you have that support system nearby? You know, just think about what it might be like juggling two under two if you are solo momming it, so to say. You don't have multiple nannies and housekeepers and all of this. Something else that's interesting, she said, traditional cultures encouraged pregnancy spacing as you'll love this, Dr. Weston Price, who we follow, notes in nutrition, Mm -hmm. yes, nutrition and physical degeneration, 
intentionally spacing children a minimum of two and a half to three years apart was actually commonplace among indigenous people. This includes the tribes of Ibos, the Ibos, I-B-O-S of Nigeria, Indians of Peru, and the Northwest Amazon, and natives of the Solomon Islands. So the rationale was that this time period allowed a mother to, quote, recuperate her strength completely, end quote, and be in, quote, thoroughly fit condition to bear another child, end quote. It was also believed to ensure the health and survival of the next child. So coincidentally, this spacing is right in line with the optimal interpregnancy intervals documented in the modern scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is so, why I advocate for waiting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, you, you know, we. I can be empathetic with women who are pregnant on the older side, let's call it mid to late 40s. I absolutely despise the term geriatric pregnancy. I think it's gross. So again, I I think it's nice that Lily Nichols is like, okay, let's bring it down a little bit, but let's also be factual and state that there's risks if it's less than a year, but maybe we can't all wait three to four years. But it's true. Of, of Mm -hmm. Of course, the closer it is to minimum three years, of course, we can expect better outcomes. We can't deny that truth. Now, yeah, and I think yes. also it affords you the time to become familiar with the next stage. So I can yes. imagine going through the stage that Eden is in right now. I would, I would be beside myself if I were learning that for the first time with two babies at once. Because oh, now if yeah. I can get through this, that experience and that education that by immersion, now I can apply that to the second baby. But if I'm not far enough yes. outside of that, I don't have the ability to apply that, right? You're just kind of like winging it with two? Yep. And I think (laughs) to me, that's where those shortcuts come into play, where we don't love those mothering shortcuts and the devices and the contraptments and the containers out of sheer like, I just got to get through this afternoon or this day and it goes Mm -hmm. against my values, but I'm just trying to keep my head above water. So we're thinking of thriving. Yeah. You you sent me that Instagram. I think the woman had like quintuplets. Yeah, and she had all of her babies like oh my God, synchronized no. in the swing. And I was the like, electronic yeah. one. When they're all yeah. like they have their bottles With just like kind of like leaning rested. on their body. Yeah. And it's like, dude, what else can she do? Yeah. She well, I don't have know what I would arms. do. Yeah. So. Unless yeah, if you're a millionaire and you have one nanny per child that can like follow your mothering and tactics nurse. and a wet yeah. nurse, then fantastic. But dude, if we had quadruplets quintuplets i'm sure all the natural mothering would just go out the wayside how can you 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 only have two boobs yeah you have two boobs there's one of you really can't but so So, that's again another consideration of like these are the things that are important to us we don't we don't want pacifiers we want exclusively breastfeeding we want all this so yes are we setting ourselves up for success by planning the spacing better i guess that's the question i i agree now this is where she kind of leaves off with it something to consider So if your circumstances allow, according to Lily Nichols, who we admire and respect, she highly encourages you to wait until your baby is around 18 months before trying to conceive again. So the honest truth is that most people aren't consistently eating a nutrient-dense diet, which we know from Anissa Woodall too. Check out our episode with her. 
to because it's not just random nutrients or like nutrients found in like your pharmacy's synthetic multivitamin. It's very specific nutrients required for growing a healthy baby in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, Bioavailable so, nutrients as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ideally, those animal-based ones, not synthetic mm-hmm. ones made in a lab. So... Um, basically the truth is you're, you're probably not consistently eating a nutrient dense diet to replenish your nutrient stores. If you want to breastfeed beyond the first year, know that pregnancy can affect your milk supply, which you mentioned many women do tandem nurse, but nursing aversions or lowered milk supply are common barriers. Mm -hmm. Connective tissues take a long time to recover too. That's important to bring up. And it's especially Mm -hmm. helpful for your quality of life to allow adequate time to heal, which you also mentioned, particularly if you had pelvic floor dysfunction, prolapse, or diastasis recti where your abdominal wall separates. Abdomen. Yep. Mm -hmm. Lastly, having children in quick succession brings up the obvious challenges and exhaustion that goes along with caring for more than one child at once. All things that we've brought up. If you want to have closely spaced children, you need to make an extra effort to eat well, supplement well, and have extra helping hands at the ready. So if you fall in this bucket, we also can share our code to perfect supplements. Definitely recommend having their collagen, their beef liver pills, Mm -hmm. gelatin on hand. You like their S. Acerola cherry. Yes, I love that too, especially. Mm -hmm. I do. And also mushroom immunity, especially when everyone's Mm -hmm. sick or shedding, you know, God knows what. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have on hand. So, (laughs) so basically, yeah, that's from Lily Nichols, right? So we've given you a few different perspectives, but I realized we didn't actually read off the answers, the individual answers people gave on Instagram when we asked them that question. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first, I want to start off with my favorite answer from one of our friends. And Um, what was the question? Okay, so yeah, great point. The question was, in your opinion, what is the perfect or ideal pregnancy spacing between kids? Let's hear it. All right, so my favorite answer from one of our friends was, no right age. It's all hard, right? So like maybe you even were like, I'm going to have the three to five year gap and there still could be... Social I'm challenges. That, that one up. up. <laughs> yes. that up. Yes, I love it. True. Right. And also, for some moms, they might actually thrive with three under three or two under two. Who knows how or why? That I don't think that would be me. And maybe some moms wouldn't. Right. Um. So only you're gonna know, moms. So yeah. all right. Here's the answer. Someone said between two and three years is all I know. LOL. Trying to decide a gap for our third currently. Then someone said, my daughter was three and a half years old when I had my second and she's been so helpful. I can see that. That's what I want. Um, That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I think that's perfect. Someone said, and just developmentally for the kids, it felt easier in quotes to give them each what they needed. Okay. That was also, that was a follow-up to two. That age gap was like two years. That age gap was ideal for many reasons. One, my body felt ready and didn't feel depleted. And then also it was just easier, like she said. Mm-hmm. Okay, someone said four years. This was one of the hey. very rare people. Hey, hey. This, and I, I know this person me. too. This oh, was one okay. of the very, <laughs> very rare answers. <laughs> yes. Yes, you two will hit it off. She said it takes at least three years for womb to replenish nutrients for an optimal pregnancy. Plus True. one, plus one. Boop, 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 boop. Boop, boop. Yeah. Now someone said that three to four years was so nice but she also has that two under two age gap. So she mm. liked them for different reasons. Then someone said, I grew up with four and a half years and it sucked. Why did it suck? Aww. 
Probably because um, like your experience, you weren't like close and didn't have that best friend. But I'll tell you what, those relationships don't necessarily end up in best friends when you're adults. Because yeah. none of my siblings and I keep in touch, except for the one who's nine years yeah and also I know plenty of siblings who are two years apart and they're amicable they're like civil and respectful but they have completely different interests and personalities yeah Mm -hmm. so if you are mom who's like I'm gonna intentionally have two under two or three under three so they're all best friends like just know that age gap doesn't dictate friendships closeness also when I was younger like in high school when I was a freshman in high school almost all my friends were juniors and seniors like I've always been an old soul you know you know what I loved though is that my older brother when he would have friends over would be like gawking over his friends (laughs) was he like that's so weird don't do that so cute (laughs) they didn't like me they liked my older sister because she was so beautiful and she was closer in age and all that I was like the ugly duckling but no how can that be <laughs> you are definitely not an ugly duckling now. And just know your third one is going to get picked on. Whoever it is, oh, the yeah. one is going to get straight up bullied. That was my whole life. I So I always thought that that was the middle child syndrome. Dude, I got bullied. You I you would just die over some of the stories I could share with you. Oh girl, you you've told me some and they were crazy. Yeah, but there's one that's locked in my memory. I don't think I'll ever tell a single soul that one. But I'm like, this has trauma written all over it. (laughs) Mom's off the record is not ready for this one. (laughs) That's going to be for our subscribers only. Yeah, for real. (laughs) (laughs) You got to pay to hear that one. Uh, Horrified. Oh, my God. Well, here's what some other people said. My boys are two years and nine months apart, so almost three years apart, and my eldest just loved his brother. No jealousy, really. All right, so it does seem like the closer See? we are to that three-year age gap, like the better. It. I like yeah. that, too. Because they're finally, at that age, turning away. So usually mm-hmm. they'll be running towards you, and at that age, they're ready to go external. Like, they want to go do by themselves without you. Which is yeah. better for them and for you as the mom who now mm-hmm. has this newborn. You need to basically be by your side twenty four seven. You don't want to push them away. You want them no. to run away. Yeah. Yes. Now someone else said at least two years for some healing and remineral- remineralization of the mother's body. Yes. Someone said all of them. There are pros and cons to every stage. And I know this mom has like a less than two year age gap with one and then I think maybe a three year age gap with another. Someone said my opinion is that there is more work to do till four years. New kid will make it more challenging. We can't deny it. Yes. Hey, it's not going to be I'm easy. I'm with you. <laughs> no, yeah. she with you. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you too. I got to <laughs> hook you up on the back end with these people. Someone said, oh, we, we love this person. Someone said, Mine are two years apart and so stinking close that it melts my heart into pieces. It's tough, but worth it with a heart emoji. That's cute. Mm. I mean, hey, if you can do it, do it. Someone said three to four years, time to fully recover and wean between babies is so helpful in postpartum. Mm -hmm. True, true, true. And then another person said two years to replenish mineral and nutrient stores. Uh, someone said two to three years so mama can replenish her body and have a healthier baby. Someone said love Our the two year gap. are so wise. <laughs> they're, they're so wise. I know. I'm glad I'm was not saying like one year. Yeah. Were, were there any that I want to know that 2%. Were there any that submitted answers for less than one year? 
No. That which makes me wonder, was it either a mistake? They did they yeah. think like wait until your baby's a year old and then try to conceive? Like because one year's The question was pretty insane. clearly written. You're right. I, maybe those somebody people out were there just, is just living life by the balls. <laughs> uh, somebody out there has makes so sense, much energy. No, it does. I, I mean, somebody out there just has so much energy and I guess like yeah. mental willpower. I I cannot imagine. So right. okay, we we talked about we talked about anecdotal and like social risk yeah. benefits, pros cons. We discussed yeah. the the Instagram poll answers. We talked about the Lily Nichols research. What are we leaving out? One thing, one thing I just want to like drop our imaginations into is the scene. Yes. A lot of our followers are pro physiologic birth, whether that's home, hospital, wherever. Some of them are free birthers. So if you have a baby and then you have another baby shortly after, like imagine your baby, your second baby's birthday or your next baby's Mm. birthday. What's the scene with your first or your other mm. child? A meltdown. Are they going to be, <laughs> right, are they going to be in there and melting down and tugging on you and wanting to be with you? Or are they going to be old enough and mature enough to observe with awe? Are they going to be able to support, like, go get mommy some water or go get mommy an orange or can you go get, you know, a towel or whatever it is? Like, what? Just imagine, I don't know the right answer to this, but imagine that scene and what do you want that picture to look like? I like How that. I'm, I'm with you. To, yeah. Now I'm going to so. play devil's advocate one more time. I'm going to go yes. back to Yolanda Clark Norris because I watch, she has an Instagram highlight currently pinned. I think it's a Q&A she actually did with her husband. And I, mm-hmm. I found, even though I might not agree with all of her answers on this, I do find her spe- perspective interesting as a mom who has had 10 free births herself. She's 43, kids aged like newborn all the way to, I don't know, 23 years old. So actually in the Q&A, I saw a few people said to her, like, I feel guilty that I have short pregnancy intervals between my kids. You know, like, what are your thoughts on this? She said, it almost sounded like it was maybe like she thought it was like a conspiracy theory from the big organizations or from culture. Mm. She said that telling women that there's this ideal pregnancy age gap between kids is a way of like population control and like controlling Mm you know, how many kids we each have. She said for this is kind of like the first time in history that we're seeing families have fewer and fewer children and that in other cultures around the world, like for all of time, we've always had big families and have somehow made it. So what do you think of that? I'm so, okay. My perspective on things like that is, does it check out? Sure, it could be. Is that the real reason? I don't think so. So does it check out that this is a form of population control? It could be. Is that the real reason? I don't think so. I think the Mm. real reason has everything to do with we can't afford shit today. Like it Mm. costs $100 to go to the grocery store and get a bag of groceries. Like I I can't feed 10 families on that. The cost of buying, like the cost of living is way too high for us to have the size families that we used to. You know, that's one factor. Another factor is that we have this, you know, feminist ideal brainwash in our minds that we have to be working women to have value. So Mm -hmm. mom is less available. Liberal feminist, right. Yeah, right. So I think, is that a form of population control? It could be. 
I don't think that's the reason why people are having smaller families today. Mm-hmm. Financial, not practical. Agree. Very true. And it's, yeah, it's just hard it. to handle. Also, we had right. bigger families back then because we didn't understand fertility the way we do today. So now, we had I a lot thought of accidental babies, right? I actually thought that there was more, and I think it depends what region and also what time we're talking about, right? Are we talking about like wise indigenous cultures? Are we talking about just we maybe don't have that wisdom, but this is before the invention of pharmaceutical birth control pills mm-hmm. and like accidents mm-hmm. happening. Exactly. So here's the thing. Look, if you, I also know that Yolanda moved from Canada. She uprooted her whole family a few years ago, moved to Nicaragua. We know that the cost of living in these Central American countries is significantly lower than mm-hmm. here. So look, if you live on a compound, you can grow your own food, you have your own animals, and you have multiple children with bunk beds who can all be housed in the same room, like three or four kids at a time and you can somehow bypass modern society and you're extremely healthy and you have a support system in a village then thinking critically here maybe you are one of those women who can get by with having multiple kids but that it's not that's not a practicality for your average woman nowadays but to say but to say that the science behind ideal spacing is a product of population control I don't buy it I believe that it does take time for your body to replenish and to remineralize and all the things we've talked about. I believe that too. Yes, in all fairness, I believe that too. And don't, you know, guys, if you're listening to this, please don't quote me verbatim. This is like a generalization of what I heard her say a few weeks ago on an Instagram story. So don't like quote me verbatim. We'll confirm the source of the highlight. (laughs) Yeah, you can just go check the receipts. Badass woman. I just don't necessarily think that those two things are black and white. Right. I do think bottom line after so after hearing we've heard a few things now right it's like the main takeaways are for your physical health and your baby's physical health if you can try to avoid conceiving less than 12 months postpartum even more ideal weight minimum 18 months Mm -hmm. that could still be on the lower side so if you are going to do that you need to Mm -hmm. keep in mind things like your breast milk composition changing or maybe drying out altogether how will you continue to physiologically mother without cutting corners Right. right and going against your values and boundaries and just figure out like what is your age how big do you want your family what kind of support system and network do you have how active is your husband your or spouse finances. yeah mm-hmm. if you have 2 under 3 or 2 under 2 and you are recovering physically and emotionally postpartum and you're nursing your newborn and you have a needy toddler next to you do you have a husband who understands that you shouldn't be on your feet immediately after giving birth regardless of how you gave birth and that he's going to need to you know, take care of the cooking and the cleaning and laundry mm-hmm. and all that for like weeks afterward? Is that like yeah, in your plan? And this is the time. If you didn't invest in postpartum support like mm-hmm. lactation and doula, this is the time you would definitely need to do that. And oh my I think gosh, you should yeah. also just put a little note that just because you wait three to five years doesn't mean that things are going to magically be easier and it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you're magically going to be healthier. Like if you're still eating the standard American diet three, five, ten years from your first baby, that's not going to do any favors in terms of, yeah, like it's it's still, we are so nutrient deficient as Americans. Mm -hmm. Even the best of us are still, like we're so deficient in magnesium, for example. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of work to do. So that's such a good point, actually. And that reminds me of one of the many things we've learned in resilient motherhood is, well, we are, we can be resilient, but we have to put in the work. So for example, it is possible that at 
closer to 40, you could be healthier and more fertile than you were at 30 if you make the consistent lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. However, if you are drinking, even occasionally or socially, like I quit all alcohol back in August. I was never, ever a big drinker, um, but I would enjoy a glass of wine or a few sips of beer maybe once or twice a week. I didn't think anything of it, but I quit in August. I wanted to reverse some of that oxidative stress, right? So oxidative stress is just going to happen even if you're making the best lifestyle choices just as a result of us living in the modern world pollution exposure Mm -hmm. to toxins right but things that can really accelerate oxidative stress right on your especially your egg quality smoking drinking using plastics exposure to parabens phthalates caffeine i do i do drink peak matcha i will say though a good clean source Mm -hmm. of caffeine that doesn't give you the jitters or impact cortisol for me at least But so here's the thing. If you want to be able to have kids in a few years from now, and especially just aging is going to expose you to oxidative stress, you can absolutely have healthy pregnancies all the way into your 40s. But you need to be even more diligent about avoiding toxins, consuming antioxidants, yep, intentional. Mm -hmm. That even goes into your thoughts. If you have toxic thoughts, right, that can also harm you. Mm -hmm. Sleep quality. So. Wow. Well, we covered it all. So uh, hopefully this is helpful to somebody listening. Yeah, we We will be sure to share all of the resources that we've mentioned because I don't think we've really shared our Peak Matcha affiliate publicly, but that's one we've had in the background and you love that. So we'll be sure to link all of that and we will see you on the next one. See you guys. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We are so grateful for your loyalty and support. If our content has made an impact on your life and you are feeling philanthropic, please consider making a financial contribution. Your contribution helps to fund all aspects of our operations so this community can flourish. You may make a donation via the link in our show notes or on our website. We love to see how far and wide our community expands. So if you share an episode that you liked on your Instagram stories, Don't forget to tag us. Also, leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts as well as a star rating on Apple or Spotify is the best way to help other like-minded moms discover our podcast. If you are in need of deeper, more individualized support from the two of us, we offer virtual consults, birth processing sessions, and we'll even send you a written response to any question that's on your mind, including our recommended resources. Click the link in the show notes to book. And don't forget to check out our archive of resources, which are continuously expanding, including our eBooks. You can find all of this and so much more on our website, www.momsofftherecordpod.com. Until next time.